Welcome to the Human Centered Leadership Podcast with me, your host, Kulmahe. I have worked in the leadership space for three decades, and now I work with organizations and leaders to develop powerful cultures of high value and performance that is built all around their people. We will interview leaders from around the world and at the very top end of their game to explore what emotional intelligence in practice actually looks like and the benefits that it could bring to any team. This is a movement to transform the way that we see leadership and to create powerful cultures where people feel seen, heard, valued and appreciated and consequently perform to the very best. Why don't you join the movement and subscribe to our podcast and don't forget to click on notifications to stay up to date with all new content. Welcome to another episode in our podcast series. You know, I love this because I get to speak to incredible people from around the the globe, really. People who are leaders at the very top end of the game, people who understand the power of emotional intelligence and leadership, the benefits that can bring for both the human beings in your organizations, but also the performance and the culture of your organizations. Uh, You know, I'm connected to so many incredible people and I'm always looking around thinking, hey, do you know what? I could have a really good conversation with this person. And the next person, today's uh, guest is Sarah Lotes. Sarah and I have met before. We've had a very inspired conversation. Now, this is slightly different. Why? Because Sarah runs an HR consultancy and she runs a management training consultancy. This has been going on for about just under 11 years. You've got a strong background in HR with companies like Eon, uh, companies like uh, Cooper Parry, the accountancy firm, which, by the way, I've visited, and it's an incredible place to work. It's just so colorful. (laughs) You know, the meeting rooms, which look like something from Alice in Wonderland, sleeping pods, everything. It's just an incredible place. Uh, So Sarah, uh, I reached out to Sarah because I know that she gets the importance of culture. She gets the importance of human-centered leadership. Uh, So, Sarah, thank you so much for taking time out of your very, very busy day. I know how strapped you are, but I really appreciate you being here today with us. How are you? Oh, very well, thank you, Cole. And thank you for asking me. I'm delighted to be here. Oh, thank you so much. Honestly, uh, I have been looking forward to this one. I know I've tried to pin you down for a while now for a date, and we finally got there. Listen, Sarah, you know, I saw a post recently, a few weeks back, where you were talking about the importance of leadership in terms of the staff that you manage and the the culture that you try to create within your vast, very fast-growing um, HR consultancy firm. Do you want to just talk about the ethos and the values that drive the culture of your organisation? Yes, it's interesting, isn't it? Because you always think about culture and you think about large corporate organisations. Um, I run what is in essence a micro business. So we have six employees. So we're a a small business with a relatively modest turnover. But like you say, we've been going 11 years. And I think when I was when I was making that post on LinkedIn, I was kind of reflecting on not only our journey over the previous two years, which has obviously been quite a challenge in terms of the pandemic, Um, because we saw 40% of our turnover just evaporate overnight. That's the training side of the business. Um, And we were reflecting on basically what had culminated in a really positive set of financial results for the business. So we had our best month since we were incorporated. We had our best quarter since we were incorporated. And every single member of my team did a personal best 
in terms of fee earning, which is kind of like the a massive triple. Um, so naturally, we were delighted, but I was kind of reflecting on, well, what 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 got us here? What got us to this point, particularly after all this time? Because we were kind of poised to do this sort of in January 2020. We'd just moved to new officers. We'd uh, recruited a management trainer in January 2020. So not a great time to recruit a uh, member of staff for training just before the pandemic. Um, we've made lots of investment in terms of our systems, our processes. Um, yeah, so I was reflecting on that. And, and I think it does come back. It just comes down to the culture that you create within an organization and the people that you employ within that business, because any business is nothing without its people. And whether that's people because they are the customer facing element or the people that are paying attention or, or, or providing that extra level of detail because they manufacture something. And you mentioned uh, values there. We do have a set of values. And I was reflecting on this as well, because we don't actually, you won't find them on our website. They're not, they're not on a wall in our offices, um, but we do talk about them all the time. And certainly when we recruit, it's one of the first things that we send to individuals is um, we send them our values and basically we do a, you know, a values based um, interview as part of our selection process. So our, our values, um, so they are genuine, uh, they are respect, they are relationships, um, resourceful, <laughs> accountable and fun and friendly. So they are kind of perhaps, I mean, the team co-developed them probably about four or five years ago now when we had an away day and we, we had a team away day offsite and, and we literally did it right at the end of the day and it didn't take us that long to do, which is interesting. <laughs> but I think, I think that if you've recruited people who get what you are about in terms of your purpose, then it shouldn't be difficult to articulate which of the things are important. I mean, there's so much to unpick there, Sarah. You were saying things, I was like picking up and thinking, oh, I must talk about that, I must talk about that. There is so much that resonates with me right there. I mean, we could do the whole pod podcast just about that, to be quite honest. Uh, you see, I go into organisations and I very often teach values to senior leadership teams. Uh, I'm doing some work with uh, a group of postgraduate psychologists who are aspiring to become doctors or psychologists. And I'm talking about values there. And they're like mind blown. But actually what I'm talking about is not so complex. And what I love about what you just said is you simplified values. And you're so right. I'm so pleased that you said it's not on our website. It's not on a poster on the wall because there are so many times, Sarah, that I've gone into a training room with very senior leaders around uh, the, the, the table. And I say, okay, let's talk about values. So what are your values? And inevitably what happens is somebody in the room will look at a wall, point at a poster and say, that's my values. And I'll say, no, they're not. They're not your values. They're the values of your organization. They're borrowed values. Your values need to align with those values, but you have your own values as a human being. And then they look at me really confused. And then when you said that it didn't take us long to come up with these values, by the way, I love your values. And it shouldn't take long because in the recruitment process into any organization, one of the things that I say is stop looking at the technical skills and look at the, the emotional intelligence skills. Look at the value sets that the people bring into your organization. 
if they align with your organizational values, you shouldn't have too much of a problem. And I think that's the philosophy that you seem to have approached and it's worked well well for you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, I get what you're saying in terms of technical and of course there will always be a, a certain benchmark, particularly in, with HR and, you know, all, all of that side of things. But, but, but we kind of only use that as almost like an initial uh, sift. Like an essential criteria kind of thing. Yeah, that's it. I mean, the thing that we actually spend most time on is the values-based interviews and interestingly um interestingly i I did make a poor recruitment choice uh, during my time of of running my business and the the time that i realized i'd made a poor i mean this person was technically outstanding they were brilliant um but the time that I realised that I'd made a poor recruitment decision was when I observed her interacting with our cleaner back in our offices. Now, um, Deborah's still with us. You know, she cleans my home. She's, you know, she's worked with me for years. And I regard her as part of the team, you know, even though, you know, she's a self-employed person in her own right. And I remember walking into this office and I observed the way that the person not only looked at her, but spoke to her in a very um, dismissive manner. And it was at that point that I thought, you don't fit, you don't fit, you don't fit my business. Yeah. <laughs> so, so we now put that front and center. Um, and sometimes, I mean, we have been known, I mean, I mean, I'm not a fan of you know, in terms of selection, I don't sort of interview lots and lots of people. We'll probably only interview maybe two or three. Um, and our, our values-based interview, it's been known to go to about two to three hours. Uh, and then what we do after we've done the values-based interview, um, we invite them back in um, and we put them in a meeting room with the rest of the team. And we say, ask the team anything. Um, ask them what it's like to work here. Ask, ask them anything um, that you want to ask. The challenge with that is we did have one particular team member and she did give them a right grilling, <laughs> which wasn't quite the, I mean, she was only naturally curious. She's a lovely person, but, you know, um, it's meant to be more of a getting a feel for the business, you know, for the, for the, yeah, for the team. I did some work with a, a GP surgery that was really, really struggling. They had massive, high, massively high turnover couldn't retain their staff. They seemed to recruit staff into the organization that caused problems for them. The doctor was getting ill himself as a result of that. Uh, and so they were on the cusp of, uh, right, we need to we, we need to completely refresh our staff. And I says, well, let we what we need to do, in accordance with the old quote, if you do what you've always done, you'll get what you've always got. We need to do something differently. So uh, what we did, uh, we built into their recruitment process. I says, okay, let me al allow me to get every single candidate to fill in two two forms, two questionnaires. One is for their behavioural preferences to see what their communication style is like, uh, and one to do an EQ profile, an emotional intelligence profile, to see where they sit in terms of the, the emotional intelligence. And we work with 26 competency areas. So even if their EI, EQ is, is, is low, we can identify which of those 26 competencies it's low on. So we can maybe build those up. And, you know, a month later, they've just said, you know, the people that they've recruited are some of the best that they've ever had, highly professional, really engaged, and, 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 and they drive with a sense of values. And I think that's it. And I think so many organizations, big and small, particularly the large ones, um, still follow a very archaic way of recruiting, very technical, very, very sort of a, a bureaucratic process that they simply follow. 
uh, and I was talking to a university that are at a, uni at a point where they want to re review the way they recruit people and they want to follow the, the whole values-based approach. And I think the way you do it is just brilliant. We, we, need, to, we need to patent that and, and sell that. You know, that needs to be part of up front and centre with your management training. <laughs> well, we do have, um, as part of the technical, we do a desktop exercise where we, we put them in a room with a laptop and then, um, you know, all these hypothetical emails pop up and they have an hour and, and there we're testing sort of prioritisation, interacting with colleagues, but also their technical advice. So once they've sort of passed that, like I say, the, the values bit is, is, the, is the key part. But it's interesting as well, though, because I was reflecting on this before our conversation today, and we also use our values in terms of making um, small and big business decisions. So obviously, you know, when we came into the pandemic, you know, you would think as a HR business, we were rushed off our feet. Um, but actually, a lot of our clients, you know, furloughed a lot of their staff and didn't require HR support. So, you know, we had some difficult decisions to make in terms of the business at that point but it also even guides small decisions so um we've actually parted company <laughs> i mean we are lucky to have got to this point i guess but we've parted company with clients before that we don't feel match our values in terms of how they behave and uh, i was particularly proud sort of sounds proud is that the right word when one of my team members approached me and she said she said sarah i, th I think I think we need to part company with this particular client. And I asked her why and, and what the rationale was. And the rationale, she said, they don't align with our values. That was it. And she gave me the example why. And I said, well, okay, are you prepared to give that message and to, to handle that with the client? And she said, yes, I am. And I said, well, then I'm prepared to back you up if they then ask to talk to me. And I think that in some respects, values kind of become a language within an organization where because they're so non-judgmental, you know, you're not saying that you are this or you are that. You're just saying, we, we ask questions, you know. I mean, we, we had a, silly things like we sent Christmas cards out and um, we sent about 200 of these cards out and I got all the team to sign their name themselves. Now, most businesses, you know, they'll get it printed or whatever. And But... <laughs> I said, and one of the team members at the time, she was saying, I can't believe you're making me sign all these cards. This is, you know, this is such a waste of time. And I said, well, actually, if you think about our values and one of them is genuine relationships, I said, why wouldn't we? Why wouldn't we actually take the time just to sign our names ourselves? Uh, I mean, you know, that's probably a silly example. No, I don't think it is at all. I think it's a, it's a really good example, you know. But it's just how it can permeate the business in terms of both the big and the small decisions. Absolutely. We're making small decisions all the time, but sometimes we actually give more headspace to the bigger decisions, and sometimes that's the right thing to do. But when we get to that unconscious state where values sit at the very heart of every single decision that we make, then we know that we're truly living those values. And that's what I do. And I, like you, have sacked clients before because I've seen behavior within the within the organization or within the senior leadership team just simply don't align with, align with my values. Uh, and I my litmus test is this, Sarah, can I sleep at night? It, it's as simple as that. Can I sleep at night knowing that I am working with the right people doing the right thing at the right time for the right reason? Yeah, it's very challenging as a HR professional. I mean, I've heard some horror stories from uh, you know HR colleagues where they've been you know asked to do uh, well just uneth unethical stuff and um, you know it's difficult when 
when you're an individual and, and that's your job and your, your salary and your mortgage and so on and so forth. But there comes a time, I mean, my litmus test is the same as yours. It's can I look myself in the mirror and say, I did everything I possibly could to, you know, do the right thing here. But, you know, ultimately businesses do have to make difficult decisions, but they don't have to do it in such a way where they just completely chuck all of their values. They're dealing with a person at the end of the day. Um, I mean, you know, you think about the P&O scenario and, and basically they made a commercial decision, but, you know, completely underestimated the fact that they were dealing with a loyal workforce that had given them many years service that they basically thought they could just pay off. It was just an incredulous decision, you know, for any right thinking person. You think, mm-hmm. why would any organisation do that? You know, you work with so many organisations. What would you say? Very often you get called in when things aren't going well. You know, you'll have a retention service where you do the day-to-day, but there are going to be times when you get called in when things aren't going very well, when organisations perhaps haven't done what they could have done to to alleviate the problem, to prevent the problem even. What are the sort of key things that you've seen in either organisational cultures or leadership styles that have perhaps led to problems that didn't need to be there? Sometimes it's a number of factors. I mean, obviously, when you're dealing with owner-managed businesses, you know, the the owner is, is the owner and obviously how they show up and how they behave and the attitude and all of that can create sometimes an undesirable culture. Um, but it just boils down to at the end of the day that you are dealing with people. And in some respects, you know, you might be a round peg in a square hole in an organisation where maybe you you just don't fit anymore or something's changed or, you know, so in some respects, it, it can be the right thing for somebody, that the fact that they do move to a, a new organisation. But yeah, I mean, we see a lot of employee relations challenges, but my, my view on things is if something's reached the point of a formal grievance, there are no winners from that process. Everyone's a loser. Um, in fact, I take the view that pretty much everything's failed if it gets to the point that somebody's raising a formal grievance. Personally, I'm a, I'm a big fan where possible to actually um, either nip an issue in the bud through a sensible conversation, or if, if you need something more formal, you know, to utilise a mediation approach um, to try and resolve that conflict, because it can... You know, it can it can destroy an organisation, particularly small businesses. But don't you find, Sarah, sometimes, and I don't know, I've seen this happening in, in, in large business. I've seen it happening in the police service. I, you know, I was there for 30 years. And there are times when we all know that the right approach, the best approach would be like a, this mediative kind of approach, conversation, a sensible conversation. But then people become entrenched in their positions. Either the organisation becomes entrenched or people within the organisation or the individual in question becomes entrenched. How do you how do you overcome that? I see that in terms of grievances. I think that grievances entrench positions because it becomes very um, them and us or, you know, mediation, I suppose, less so because you've, you've got two parties or two or more parties in conflict. And, you know, the role of the mediator is to get them to come to the solution and facilitate that. So often that means that entrenched positions and we talk a lot about positions and interests as part of mediation, you know, what position are they adopting to satisfy which interest? And it's about kind of uncovering uncovering that. 
But ultimately, you know, there are various mechanisms that can be utilised in terms of if two individuals, particularly at a senior level within an organisation, aren't getting along, then there are various mechanisms which could be undertaken in terms of exiting individuals from an organisation. In a a way that doesn't necessarily end up in World War Three necessarily. A piece of leg- legislation was introduced around something called protected conversations. Can't remember now. It was probably about seven or eight years ago now, and that was really to sort of fast track um, conversations around, you know, concerns around performance management or whatever, and essentially moving people on. But I almost say doing it in a manner that is respectful because it's it. You know, yes, you can put somebody through capability processes and, and of course, you know, most people will revert to that to start off with. But ultimately, a sensible conversation about an amicable parting of the ways might be the best thing for both individuals concerned, but also the organisation and also the people within it. Because, of course, they're also being impacted by, you know, whatever's happening in terms of certain individuals. See, Sarah, I'm listening to you as an HR professional listening to what you're saying. And can I just say that you're probably one of the first HR professionals have actually ever said this. You know, most times that, uh, you know, I've had an issue where I've needed to resolve an issue within the workplace with uh, one of my members of staff, the first piece of advice that you get from HR professional is uh, unsatisfactory performance uh, uh, processes or unsatisfactory absence management processes. So they take you down a process as opposed to what you're talking about, human conversations uh, and, and this wider view, this this wider spatial awareness of what's going on. And I think for me, that's what's missing. That is what's missing in the HR remit. So how do you think that we could improve HR, both within organizations, you know, as HR professionals, as somebody who's CIPD or, or whatever, what is a thing that uh, that could improve the, the name that HR has got? Because very often people refer it as human resistance. What is it that we need to do as professionals to move forward? Oh, human remains. That's another one. <laughs> oh, I've never heard that one. <laughs> human remains. Um, it's difficult, isn't it? Because, I mean, your, your experiences will have been, uh, you know, predominantly with the the police service and of course you know you you will have had things that had been agreed with your unions in terms of processes to follow so it will have been quite prescriptive uh, i suppose i'm talking more in a context of um you know maybe smaller businesses smes um you know things of that nature um so how can we move it on well actually it just comes back to what you've been talking about which is about creating the right culture, having the right leaders, and um, recruiting the right people in the first place with the right skills, you know, put them in the right role. It's it's really not rocket science, it, you know, understand what drives them, what motivates them, why they get up in the morning, you know, articulate what the purpose of the organisation is, give them autonomy, um, give them the tools they need to do the job. It's, it's just, it's kind of basic, but it, it, it can happen within small businesses as well as larger organisations. And I mean, you know, you talked about sort of some of the HR horrors that we've we've dealt with. And um, you know, I, I sort of swerved that one in terms of going into too much detail. But um, yes, we've dealt with a lot. But as I say, I often take the view that when it's got to that point, kind of everyone's failed. And I'm very much more at the other end of things about 
helping organisations not get to that point in the first place. Um, so often we take a lot of our clients on a journey where, yes, we, we are initially involved with them because something um, unpleasant has happened or you know something needs dealing with, but then we often sort of unpick why that is um, you know, put the basics in place, like the compliance and the policies that you preferred that you referred to. But then, the more forward-thinking clients, then we'll sort of take them on this, you know, cultural journey where they actually start thinking about, well, what is our purpose? You know, how do we engage our people? Um, you know, what do we stand for? What's important to us? Do we have a really clear idea of who we want to recruit? Because again, you know, a lot of businesses sort of think, oh, interviewing is so easy. It's it's well, it's but actually it is, but only if you have a really clear idea of what it is that you're looking for. And often businesses have kind of missed that bit. So they, you know, so sort of that person organization fit that we talk about in terms of culture, is just not there. Um, and sometimes I think also they have to be brave and sometimes run with an empty slot on the shift as opposed to just recruit a bum on a seat. And I often sort of say, you know, are you are you recruiting the person or a person? If it's the person, great. If it's a person, just move on because they're just going to cause you problems further down the line because they don't fit your culture. Again, a lot of wisdom in that. And I'm just w- w- working with a healthcare provider at the moment, uh, Sarah. Uh, and uh, we're I'm just we're just running a cultural audit across uh, 1,400 staff. And the thing about this this healthcare provider, um, they are a small organisation, relatively speaking, within healthcare. Uh, they're a very caring organisation, but when you hear stuff coming back from the staff, it, it's 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 quite uh, compelling in in the frustrations that, that they that they're vocalising. And I think some of these the solutions to some of these are so simple and so easy. Uh, but sometimes we get lost in the mire of all the stuff that's going on, and it's very easy to lose focus of your people, particularly, and let's face it, healthcare for the last two years in particular have been under under the cosh, you know, and they still are to some degree. Uh, so it's very easy to lose sight of the really important stuff around your culture and stuff like that. Uh, while ever you're still a caring organisation, it's easy to make mistakes, isn't it? And I feel that... Um, one of the things that we, we miss as organizations sometimes is those human conversations that we need to have, as well as getting the work done. It's the human conversations that we need to have with each other. It's a form of checking in. It's a form of knowing that we've got the right people working for us, with us. Uh, and just, I, I love that when you said, are you hiring the person or a person? And it's a, such a subtle difference, isn't it? It's such a subtle nuance, but so powerful. Uh, in the the outcomes that you get from that yeah and it is it is also difficult I, I, particularly in the current context where you know we've just got one we've just breached 1.4 million vacancies i think mm-hmm. and you know people are running short in terms of shifts but but interestingly i mean to go back to your thing about the the cultural audit and some of the sort of niggles that are coming through again i'm a big fan of well ask the people that do the job because they generally have the best answers and um you know, we, we I did something with a client the other week and, and they've got a great culture and, you know, they rolled their values out three or four years ago and they're really flying now. And um, we got all of their operators together. So it's a manufacturing business um, to talk about the best ways to structure the shifts. Now, a lot of organisations, that would be quite a contentious 
um, discussion. Goodness, I tried to do that in the police service in one of the departments. Well, one of the worst things I ever did. <laughs> well, you know, particularly when you're talking about, you know, two shift, three shift and so on. But basically, you know, how I did it is I sort of, it was a, it was a conversation, you know, with sort of 16 operators. And I sort of said, look, this is what the business is trying to achieve in terms of its objectives. Um, you know, so flexibility, obviously with that energy costs going through the roof, um, you know, looking at how they could manage those, but all sorts of other things uh, were on their wish list. And, um, you know, basically sort of said, uh, we asked them what was important to them and what they most valued about working there. And that was really interesting. Uh, some of the things that came out from that. And then we said, okay, so how could you, how could the shifts be structured in order to meet these business goals, but also meet the goals of what what you want because top of their list was you know flexibility and spending time with their families and things like that and it's that sort of pluralist approach where the organization and the employees within it they've kind of all got the same goal at the end of the day which is for that business to continue in business in order to provide employment to people but it's when you can actually leverage that so that the organization and the people within it work jointly like they sort of co-create things so and again that isn't just in corporates that can happen in smes up and down and and to some degree i think i think it can be more powerful in smes because you have a smaller group of people and and much like you know your organization a small group of people but they're they're so coalesced around these values and what uh, loads uh, HR consultancy is all about. Yeah, why are you here? What, what's the purpose? And, you know, I think about my purpose, well, my purpose, our purpose as a business, and I, it's very clear. I'm sort of like, well, we're here to serve the community, you know, that we operate the business in. So we're we're a big part of the community and we get involved in lots of different stuff. But but we, I'm here to provide employment to the people of Derby and Derbyshire. So I'm very proud to be an employer. But also, my, the key for me is our purpose is basically to alleviate the stress related to employment matters for both the uh, employer and the employee, because, you know, that isn't conducive for anybody. So, you know, we're a sort of intervention, <laughs> if that makes sense. No, I love it. I love it. And, and you know, just as a, as a final thing, really, all the stuff that we've been talking about, reminds me of the changing environment in which we exist. You know, one thing that's uh, that's come up uh, really strong, and you've talked about 1.4 million vacancies just in the UK. Um, I'm reminded of this whole concept of the great resignation, how now people are above the, the monetary recompense that they get for working. They're actually valuing their 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 safety, their the environment, whether they feel appreciated, heard, valued, seen, all of these kind of things. For me, it's almost like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You know, we've all gone back down to the very basic of the human needs. We've recalibrated since the pandemic started. So it's about understanding where human beings are right now, and if we value our employees to that de- degree they can be incredible employees going forward. I often talk, I mean, it's, I can't remember how old it is now. I think it's 1954, but you know, Hertzberg and the two-factor theory. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I often say to employers, you know, uh, you know, you need to get the basics right, first of all. So, you know, you talk about the great resignation. It is all about retention at the moment. And it's not about 
you know, I sort of say, if you're doing an exit interview, you've also failed <laughs> because, you know, and there's this concept now of stay interviews, which is just simply actually a conversation where you understand what is important to that person because everyone has different things that are important to them. And then it's your role as a leader to try and sort of provide that to them. So I'm a big fan of, you know, get all the basics right in terms of the pay, the working environment. Um, you know, one of them is policies, but I'm, I'm as you gathered i'm not really a policy person but, but you know i mean i suppose i think i think about my team and i talked to them about what was important to them uh, and one of my team said oh well you know i have to use a lot of my annual leave to care for my daughter so you know the week before last we decided the policy was we decided to give everybody three days extra annual leave and that really meant a lot to her because she said that means now i just get the odd day here and there for me, as opposed that I have to use it, she's a single mother, that I have to use it to care for my daughter. So it's things like that, that you get the basics right, and then you get the motivators in terms of the recognition, the autonomy. The basics are like your foundation, get your foundation in place. And some of those aren't, aren't the most exciting, are they? Policies, I mean, let's let's be honest. Policies are like the one of the most boring things and constrictive. If we if we overdo the policy, they can really constrict you as well, can't they? But you need to get those basics right. Um, but then after that, it's about it's about those human conversations that you talked about. Yeah, development, recognition, autonomy. Um, you know, the work itself, and you know, I'm I'm a big fan in terms of recognition, and I will. I will put forward my team members for, you know, various awards or or, or or you'll always find me probably talking about them on LinkedIn. And so that's a form of recognition, um, even down to the point where <laughs> our phones, our phones. So we have a phone system. And when you log off at the end of the week, it says to you, yay, it's Friday. Great job. Or, or thanks for your hard work this week or something. I don't know. It's I know that's silly, but, you know, or handwritten notes, you know. Um, yeah, it doesn't have to just be that way. Well, listen, Sarah, you know, um, I've really enjoyed talking to you and you've reminded me that I promised you I was going to come and visit you. But now you've inspired me to come to visit you. I'm going to take some time out. We're at a World Heritage site, so it's glorious today. I've been playing tennis this morning on Darley Park. So, yeah, it's it's living the dream down here for, for, in terms of well-being. So. It is. It's, you're in a lovely part of the world. I will definitely come and visit you. I, I, I want to go and meet all your staff now. You've inspired me to meet all your staff. You always have an open invitation call. <laughs> thank you so much. Sarah, thank you so much for taking time out to uh, to, to join me today. Uh, I'm going to let you get back to your very, very busy life and, uh, you know, maybe maybe another round of tennis or something like that. <laughs> Enjoy the rest of the day. Thank you so much. And I look forward to seeing you very soon. Take care. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. Please do subscribe and click on notifications for new content. And of course, connect with me on LinkedIn. Take care. Have a great day.